All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. All right, so welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast, Wild Side. Right on. Um... You know, I hate to do this to you because yeah. you know it's going to be all about Kiss and Paul Stanley yeah. co-write on Fox Strikes yes, on right. your 1992 album. How right. did that collaboration come about? Uh, we had a management company at the time who had years and years and years earlier did uh, all the photography for early Kiss. Right. A guy named uh, Barry Levine. Barry. Yep. And so Barry, obviously, good friends with Paul and Gene and all the guys, you know. And um, at some point, once we were writing music for the record, Barry thought it would be a great idea. And Paul was looking to write for other groups at that time with a new uh, sort of publishing company that he was trying to get more material into. And um, that's kind of how it got put together, you know. They they brought us together, and we ended up finishing uh, clock st- clock strikes on um, Christmas Eve one night. It was Paul, Brent, and I up at Paul's house. Right. So how did that song start? Where did the idea come? Was it from you guys, or did Paul come in with an idea? It came. It came from Brent and Paul originally. Uh, Paul gave me sort of the melody and even some of the lyrics and I rewrote some of the lyric and changed some of the melodies slightly enough to be considered as part of a writer of that but really at the end of the day it was mostly Paul and Brent who wrote that song. And what was the kind of writing process that you were a part of? Was it Paul out with a guitar going through ideas or was it sitting down listening to a rough track or? No, it was literally in a small guest room at Paul's house with myself, Brent, and Paul. Paul had a little acoustic. Yep. Brent had his electric, uh, or maybe it was an acoustic. I, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and they just started jamming, and then I left them at that night. I, I stayed around. I realized wasn't going to be much I could do unless I was going to start coming up with lyrics right off the bat, and I'm not that kind of writer. So I left them to continue writing throughout the week, and they brought me back uh, at that time a cassette, and I listened to it, made a couple changes, and we went and started to rehearse it, and that's how the song kind of became what it is. So Under the Influence was produced by Andy Johns, and was the first album, I believe, recorded at the 5150 Studios, outside of Van Halen's use of that. How how did um, you guys get access to that studio, which must have been a bit of a win at the time? That was, again, Andy. You know, Andy spent so much time there, had such a connection with Eddie and the studio that after we did basic tracks down the hill in Hollywood, we went back to Eddie's place and started doing guitar tracks. I did half a dozen vocal tracks there and then realizing that we really needed to move into another studio so I could get some some real work done. It was a lot of partying going on right. up at that house at that time. I bet. Wolfie was first born and 
Valerie was in the house yelling at Eddie every minute to come back to the kid. And Eddie was up there hanging out, doing blowing lines with us. Domestic bliss or rock star. It was nuts. It was nuts. <laughs> and we couldn't get any work done. And Andy was just an alcoholic and a full-blown drug addict. So put any kind of influence in front of Andy, you were fucked. Right. Yeah, so... So how did Andy come into the picture? You signed with Capitol. You'd been on the Hollywood scene for a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tommy Gunn, was it? Or No, Young Guns. Young Guns, yeah. pardon me. Yeah, that's right. Um, so you transitioned into a new band name. Um, did you sign with Capitol and they assigned you a producer? Or did you? How did uh, Andy come into your picture? Uh, yeah, we signed to Capitol and then they said... We want to help find you a producer, and we said, okay, you know, what are the lists of guys? We knew who we wanted, but then ultimately, uh, Andy wasn't on any lists, right. and we just fell in love with Andy's sort of approach to recording music. If, if you look back at Led Zeppelin and the Stones and the Who, those were our roots. And certainly Van Halen was one of our roots as well, and he was in the middle of still working on that record. So we were sold on that. We met Andy and realized that, you know, this was a rock legend in his own right, right. and we wanted to work with somebody like that, and ultimately that's how it worked out. In terms of the music industry for your genre of music in 1992, you were on the cusp of obviously grunge emerging, and kind of transitioning from, you know, the big hair metal of the 80s. Um, I think, was it the president of Capitol, Merv Milgram, kind of described you as the next big thing, you know, that you were a band that they saw supporting for five to 10 to 15 years into the I future. Hope. We all hoped. We all were sold on the same. How, how, how quickly did it change as you're doing this album, which is a fantastic to this day? People around here who do podcasts about music talk about your album as being a great, you know, representative of that era. Yeah. How did it go bad and how quick? Well, I appreciate that. Um, we, <laughs> it went as quick as it came. Trust me. We were in the middle of recording a record, mixing a record with Thompson Barbiero, who had just mixed GNR's album, right. the, the debut record. They walked in with Nirvana's demos, threw them in front of us, and said, this is what's up. And we listened to it and went, shit, yep. it might be right. And then we heard demos from Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. You know, we were in touch with what was going on, but we had to, we had to push forward and keep doing what we were doing. And ultimately, out on the road, the label decided, come home. We want to start a new record, and we were not even getting started yet, you know, and we were, everything just started, a lot of things happened with the band internally, we were pointing fingers at each other, you know how it goes, I mean, we were stupid and young, fucked up on drugs, I mean, really fucked up on drugs, and, you know, just not savvy business guys, you know, and had we been smart about our business, we would have probably been able to keep that group of guys together because that was really the thing that made us what we did, what we sounded like, and what the kind of songs that we wrote. Right. But we broke apart and things fell apart and everything kind of went downhill from there. Had we stayed together, probably should have went off to Europe and toured for a while, put out another record. Probably would have been a little harder and edgier. Well, it wasn't the 70s where you were given three albums to develop, no, was it? Man, no, it was like you better make it happen now or it was over. 
and and we got cocky and told the record label to piss off and and then you know what can you do so you went out on the road to roxy blue and babylon ad i believe you hit the road in june 92 yep um was that all the touring that you did in support of the album were you never uh placed with any larger tours or was oh, it just no, you were no, brought no. back in that tour was really just kind of the beginning. We we actually started on a pre-album release tour with a band called the Four Horsemen. Okay. They were an amazing Geffen band and um, got our sort of experience on the road with these guys. Came home, scheduled that band you just mentioned the the three bands together. Right. That was um, uh, Roxy Blue was managed by Doug Thaler and you know all these big time management the companies. Big names. Yep. We went out, had a great time, shared a tour bus with Roxy Blue. As a matter of fact, they're here. They're here today. We haven't seen those guys in 25 years. So you got it's you're have a little reunion. Hopefully. Have a little reunion here. And, have a will, little, there be, will anyone remember anything from the road? Probably not. <laughs> I got pictures, though. So we went with those guys. They went home. We all went home. And then we continued to tour for another two years of just breaking the club scene and just keep on trying and keep on trying, even without label support. We continued to have label support for about another year and a half. Right. We played bigger places, uh, 8,000, 6,000, lots of crowds, a lot of summer stuff, and um, and then it was over. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you had a self-titled album out in 94 with Tony Nickel Tony Records. Yeah, that was like that. a bad effort. Um, just kind of stuck in where do we do now kind of thing. They offered us a bunch of money, we took it, and just did a, you know, just did a kind of a, an interesting spin on what was happening at the time. Right. You know. So, Capital pretty much reeled you back in pretty quickly. Um, what about the selection of singles from the album? Do you think that could have been done differently to push you in a different direction? I mean, hindsight's 2020 and not worth the damn. I, I get that, but. I stopped thinking about what could have and yeah. what I should have and yes. what I might have done. But to answer your question, yeah, we probably should have gone for the big ticket ballad or some sort of radio ready. But we were we were metal guys, man. We wanted to be in that space. We never considered ourselves in the 80s glams type of thing even though we got stuck in it and yeah there's some pretty funky photos out there that we probably shouldn't have taken right but we really were a hard rock band and a live band real hard rock band and so to put out a record that had like you know the first single being uh, a ballad wouldn't have been something we would have ever done right so, but that probably would have been the smarter move on a commercial you know, kind of way. So what sort of advice would you give aspiring musicians these days who have the same sort of uh, challenges with labels, with uh, band members, um, you know, just being in the band? You know, what would you tell them to focus I'm, on? I'm so, I'm so out of it. <laughs> I don't, my kids listen to music and I don't even know what the hell they're listening to. And it's always just like, what the hell, you know, I, 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 I don't get all the stuff that's happening now right. in music. I'm I'm an old school metalhead, an old school classic rock dude. My, my girls, I have two little girls, I mean little. And fortunately they grow up listening to that stuff and they know it. They There's can hope recite the A C D C lyrics and all that because I make them. But as far as advice do it yourself. 
There's, it's an easy way to do it. Do it yourself. You don't need a big label anymore. And just trying to get a big label is a nightmare. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for taking the time, and thank you for the music. Hey, thank you, man. Nice to meet you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.